we're going to go to uh, John chapter 16, so if you want to take your Bibles there, and I just wanted to welcome you uh, to our service this morning. If you are a guest with us, special welcome to you. Thank you for being here. Uh, if you would just take a blue visitor card, looks like this. Uh, they are at the doors and, and the tables and fill that out, drop that in our offering. Uh, that would give us a chance to find out if there's some way we can serve you, uh, meet a spiritual need in your life, pray for you, uh, and just get to know you a little bit. So if you would do that for us, we don't pass a plate. Our offering is in the back. Uh, people of God, give as God has blessed you. And uh, we have big things that God wants to do in our ministry and through our ministry. And so everything that you give goes towards the kingdom of God, a very worthwhile investment. A uh, couple things I want to mention before we get to John 16. First of all, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, uh, but our toddler teacher did not, was not able to come this morning. So our toddler class, we don't have a class, but I understand some parents are in there filling in or whatever. So we apologize for that. But it's always one of those reminders that says, if you would like to help us, uh, fill in those gaps. We take turns in there. Never, Nobody's ever in there all the time. Um, you can see one of our teachers for the toddler's class. It's my daughter, Kara. Uh, you can see her or any one of our uh, elementary or, or preschool or nursery uh, class. Uh, we can get you and, and put you in on a rotation. Uh, we could certainly use your help there. The other thing is, I don't know if you've noticed these, but uh, we have new cards for our church uh, these are things that you can use to share hope with people. Uh, so feel free to take these. They are at our tables in the front and back. Uh, these are your card. Uh, basically, it has all the information about our church and our services on them. So when you hand them to someone, it's a way for you to get the information about our church in their hands. So uh, we have the bumper stickers that are in the uh, the resource room. That's one way. We have the T-shirts that people have, like Tom's wearing today, that, that are a way that you can share our church. But this is another way. I just wanted to make you aware of that. Uh, feel free to take a stack of them with you, put them in your wallet or your purse or whatever, hand them out as you go so that you can share what God uh, is doing here with people around you as God uses you. Just trying to equip you because our strategy for uh, sharing the gospel is you. It's the same strategy that God gave us. It's you are the people of God. You are salt. You are light. So go out and share that uh, with the people around you. All right. Okay. So John chapter 16 today. Now, what we're going to talk about today, uh, I think is really uh, maybe like the key question about anyone who is a believer. Um, this is kind of the ult- one of the ultimate questions that, that you have to ask yourself. Uh, are you someone who overcomes or are you someone who is overcome? Paul says in, in Romans 12 that we should not be overcome by evil. Do you know the rest of it? But we should overcome evil with good. How true is that for you? Are you overcoming evil in your life with good? Or does it feel like evil is overcoming you? There's a battle, without a doubt, in our lives every single day. Because there's a battle in our world. There's a battle outside of us. There's a battle from the enemy beneath us. And there's a battle from sin within us. There's a battle all the time, and the question is up for grabs. What will win, good or evil, hope or despair? Will we give up, or will we overcome? Many people have said that there are no great victories without great opposition, which is one way of saying life is going to stink 
get used to it, but, but join the battle, be in it, be a part of the fight, because in order for you to really find satisfaction and meaning in life, you've got to fight great opposition. Some say nothing worthwhile in life comes easy. Is that true? Nothing worthwhile in life comes easy. If it's worth something, it's hard. You have to fight for it. Unfortunately, it doesn't always feel true. What feels true is that the darkness in my life is overwhelming and unbeatable and it's going to close in and swallow me up. Let me just share with you how real that is in our world. In America, in our country, um, would you say our country is prosperous, a land of opportunity, freedoms that probably unknown throughout all history, greatest country in the world? Would you say that we have the greatest privilege in the world to live in America? I would say that with, with, without hesitation. I would say I am blessed to be an American. In our country, every single day, over 100 people commit suicide. Every day. They decide life isn't worth living and they take their own life. But even more sobering than that, about 2,500 people every day try to take their life in America. Now, just to break that down for you, that's one every 30 seconds. So every 30 seconds, an American is saying, with all the privilege that I have, with all that's good, with all of the opportunity, it's not even worth it. I might as well just give up forever. What does that do to you? That's the the darkness. That's the battle that's inside of us. That's the ultimate, wouldn't you say? It's time to just give up completely. But there are a lot of ways to be overcome. There are a lot of ways to live overcome. I knew a man who came to church here for a while. Um, I, I was really encouraged because I knew him, but then all of a sudden he started coming to church and um, was coming for a while, was coming probably, I would say, six months, nine months or whatever. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. And he wasn't coming to church anymore because we got to a place in the Word of God where it said you have to, to forgive your enemies. You have to love your enemies. You have to pray for your enemies. And he said, can't do that. So he let bitterness overwhelm him because of a wrong that was done to him. And he walked away from the freedom God offers in forgiveness. I knew a friend one time who had all kinds of God-ordained opportunity, but they let fear run their life. They let jealousy run their life, and it destroyed almost every good thing God was doing through them. Are you going to overcome, or are you going to be overcome? I watch people every day live for the love and hope they think they find in money. And they think it's a good thing to provide security, to provide prosperity for their family, for the ones they love, to provide for their future. There are lots of ways to be overcome by evil. I watch people bound in the lie that significance comes through people's opinion of them. There are lots of ways to be overcome and to live overcome. There's no denying evil is a powerful force in our world. And if you look at it for a while, what you see is that it seems to be growing. It seems to be stronger than ever. And our culture seems to love it. As a matter of fact, our culture seems to love 
good with evil. Right? They love to take one of the greatest gifts God's given, the gift of relationships, and they love to mix sin in as almost an essential part of it. So what's the norm when God brings along someone for a young person to love, to be connected to, to be boyfriend and girlfriend with? What's the norm today? Immorality. We're going to live together. We're going to sleep together. It's just assumed that's what it is. It's just mixed in. And so it takes one of the greatest blessings God gives and it mixes darkness right in there with it. It almost feels like you can't participate in the blessing without participating in the evil. But what we're going to see today is this. Jesus promised us we're going to have struggle in this world. No doubt about it. We're going to have struggle. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be if you struggle. It's not going to be if there's trouble. It's guaranteed you will have trouble. The question of giving your life to Jesus doesn't take your trouble away. doesn't make life easy. But what it does is it changes the end. It changes what happens when we go through trouble. And so what we're going to look at, we're going to look at the end of chapter 16 of John. And this brings to a close Jesus' discussion with his disciples, his words. He's on the last night, the light of the last supper. Tomorrow he's going to die. Tonight he's going to be betrayed. This is the end of all that we've been looking at from chapter 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 of Jesus' discussion with his disciples. And of all the things that he could say, this is what he closes with. We've looked at, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. We looked at, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, There's a place that I'm going to prepare for you and I will come again and take you. We've looked at, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've looked at, I am the vine and you are the branches. We've looked at, greater love has no one than that they lay down their lives for their friends. Last week we looked at, your sorrow will be turned into joy. So all those powerful words Jesus has, these are the words he closes with. This is what he sums it up with, and I think that it will do your heart well to hear what Jesus has to say as he closes this discussion. So start with me at verse 25. We're going to go down to verse 27 as we see Jesus bringing this to a close. Here's what he says. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, I am not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. All right, so we start here and Jesus says, now I've been speaking to you figuratively. Figuratively. That word actually is the word for parable. Jesus is saying, I'm speaking to you in words that are veiled, in words that are cryptic, in riddles. Why did Jesus do that? Some people say, well, Jesus told parables so we could explain deep truths. Kind of. But if you look at a parable, what you'll find is that a parable is something that was stunning and shocking. Something that made people go, what? What did he just say? That doesn't make any sense. It was kind of a riddle. It was a way that Jesus used words to do two things. He would invite those who believe, those with open hearts, to dig deeper And at the same time, those with hard hearts would find an excuse to just not even try. What Jesus did with things like this, with figurative language, 
was that he would say, I'm going to tell you something. And if you're open, it's going to drive you into to really grabbing a hold of this truth. But if you're not open, it's going to make you feel like I'm ridiculous and dismissible. You ever see that with people? The same truth that lights you up is a truth that other people think is ridiculous. What is that? That's a, that's a, that's a representation of the condition of their heart. It's not that Jesus didn't care about people who don't believe. If you ever wonder, you know, if Jesus just didn't like some people, if he just didn't want to reach some people, look at the, the account in Matthew chapter 23, which is also repeated in Luke. When Jesus comes to the city of Jerusalem and, and talks about how his heart aches for them, to, to gather them under his wings, but they would not, they refuse, and he just, he's brokenhearted about their refusal to come to him. So Jesus has a heart for the lost, but Jesus taught truth, and that truth polarized people. Jesus was not a middle-of-the-road kind of teacher. He wasn't a, I'm going to say something that doesn't offend anybody. Either you believed that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, or you didn't. And he drew that line pretty clearly. Either you should hate your enemies, or you should love your enemies. You're not going to do both. Either you should live for the best of this life and this world, or you should live for the best of another life. Jesus called people to take a side, to make a choice, to choose belief or to refuse to believe. And he used these parables to call them to that choice. But what Jesus says is, now I've used that language, that figurative language, but now I'm going to clear things up. The discussion between you and I is going to get very, very clear. There's not going to be any more need for this digging into the truth because instead of challenging you to find more ways to confront truth, I'm going to come to a time where you will know the truth for yourself. Remember, Jesus said, when I go away, the Spirit will come and He will guide you into all truth. So Jesus says, there's not going to be a need for this this kind of teaching with you, my disciples, anymore. You're going to know the truth, and the truth will be the thing that sets you free. And so he uses this thing. He says, in that day. In that day. He's been using that to talk about when he returns to the Father, and the Spirit comes to them. His presence embedding truth, the Spirit embedding truth inside of them. And so he says, in that day, when I go to the Father, you will know plainly about the Father. Right now, they don't even know about Jesus' death. I mean, they should, but they don't. They don't get it. They don't know about his resurrection. They certainly don't know about his ascension. They don't know what they don't know. But Jesus says, a time is coming. When the Spirit comes in Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes and the church age comes. He says, in that day, There will be clear channels between you and the Father. Nothing will be in the way. It will just be a complete connection. And so I I want to, before we move on, I want to pull two important truths out of this. First one is this. Jesus says that the disciples and all who believe will have direct access to the Father in prayer. Don't miss that. They will have direct access to the Father in prayer. There is no need... For anyone to go between you and the Father. It will be a clear channel, a perfect connection between you and 
the, and the God of the universe, between Father, the, God the Father, there will be nothing in between. And so what that means for you is this. From the words of Christ, there is no need and there is no usefulness to pray to anyone else. Grab a hold of that. Because many like to teach that you should go to someone else. Jesus never suggested that you should pray to anyone else. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, period. Now, I know many, many people struggle with that. My, you know, I, I, grandpa, grandparents who grew up in, in a faith that, that taught you to pray to saints and to Mary, and to all, I understand that. But what I'm telling you is, that's wrong. From the Word of God, there is no instruction in the Word of God ever to pray to anyone else. What, what Jesus says to His disciples is, you will go to the Father yourself. So if you've been taught to pray to someone else or to get God's ear through someone else from the words of Jesus, I'm telling you, you don't need to do that. Because the connection between Jesus, uh, between the Father and the disciples or the, the Father and, and believers like us, there's absolutely no barrier. Which is awesome because in a world gone wicked, we can immediately at any time speak with the creator of the universe. With our maker, with our God, anytime. Now think about that. When Jesus says, we're coming to the end here, I want you to know this. You've been able to speak to me face to face, and you feel like you're losing something, but I want you to know what you're gaining. You are gaining an audience with God Almighty. The writer of Hebrews says, we can come boldly into the throne of grace. We don't have to tiptoe in. We don't have to come in looking like, I don't know what God wants or thinks. We don't have to be afraid. We can come in boldly because of Jesus Christ, because of what he did for us. And so I would invite you to take advantage of that privilege, not just when we come together at church. When we come together at church, hopefully it's a reminder. When we come and we sing, you have an audience with the creator of the universe. Take advantage of it, folks. Let's not be timid. Let's not be weak. Let's not be mealy-mouthed. When we come together into the presence of God Almighty, Jump on it, right? Take hold of that. But when you go out of here, that, that privilege, that opportunity does not go away. At any time, when the darkness is closing in, when the world is as wicked as wicked can be, you can immediately be speaking to the God of the universe. The, the channel is clear. That's one. The other thing I want to show you before we move on is this. this and this is really unique. When, when Jesus says in verse 20, the Father himself loves you. Now, if you know anything about the, the original language that the New Testament was written in, the language of Greek, what you would expect that word to be is agape. Agape is, is a word for the love of God towards us. It's the selfless love. It's the, the love Jesus said, as I have loved you, I ask you to love one another. This is my command. But that is not the word here, and it's unique. Because almost every time God loves, God agapes. But this word, God loves, is God phileo. It's the word we get Philadelphia from. Brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly kindness fill your... So think about this. What's Jesus saying? Why does Jesus use that different word there? The concept of phileo was this. 
I like you. I'm attracted to you. I enjoy being with you. You're my friend. You're someone I hold dear. We translate it beloved, dearly loved. We translate it like that. And so from the word of God, what Jesus is saying from the mouth of our Savior, he's saying, here's why you have a clear channel with God, because God enjoys you. God enjoys the conversation and he, he longs to be in connection with you. Do you believe that? Do you own that? Do you live that? The Father has a fondness for you. He likes you. Why? Because we did everything right and because we never made any mistakes. No. Because you've loved me and believed. Because you've loved me and believed. So what Jesus is saying is, because of the connection you have to me, because you've accepted me, because you believe, the Father loves talking to you and you talking to Him. And so if you believe that, then you have this this wide open door of opportunity and you will take advantage of it to speak to a God who genuinely likes you. How about that? Pretty cool. All right, so then pick it up with me at verse 28 down to verse 31 because then Jesus kind of, as he closes his comments, he sets up his final point. So, so I, want to see, I want you to see what he says. Verse 28 uh, down to verse 31, he says this. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world, going back to the Father. Then the disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and you don't even need... Uh, to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Ah, you believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has now come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Sorry, I read an extra verse there, but that's part of it. Jesus begins to close his comments, and what he says here. He says this, if I could paraphrase. Here's what he says. I'm about to win the greatest victory of all time. I'm about to finish the greatest work ever done. But it's going to feel like everything is lost. It's going to feel like the darkest day of all time. That's what he says. He says, the deliverance I'm going to bring to your lives and to this world is going to feel like trouble piling up on top of trouble. Instead of setting up the kingdom that you're all ready for and the throne and defeating all the enemies, I'm leaving. It's exactly not what you think. Jesus says, I've come from the Father, entered the world. Now I am leaving the world, going back to the Father. And then he says, I'm going to see some trouble. And when, when, I, when I see that trouble, a time is coming and has come, and you'll be scattered. You will leave me alone. You are going to face trouble. He's just restating what he's been teaching all along. I am the Messiah. I am from God. I have come to accomplish a mission and return to heaven. I am leaving this world, returning to the Father, because my mission will be over. I will suffer. I will die. I will rise again. And Jesus' disciples, when he says that, it's like they didn't even listen. All they recognized was this. They had, they had been talking amongst themselves, but not asking Jesus a question. Last week we talked about this. 
And Jesus knew what their question was without them asking it. So they're like eight verses late. You know what I mean? Like Jesus is back up here saying, listen, I know what you're asking. Let me tell you about it. And so they respond to that and they say, now we know that you are from God. Now we know that you speak clearly. Now we believe. We get it. Because we didn't even have to ask you the question and you, you answered it. And so now we see you in a different light. We kind of start to get it. We understand that you are the Messiah. In, in one way, they had a bigger view of Jesus than they ever had before. And they gave, a, as a group, a pretty clear testimony to his deity, to his origin, to his ability to know all things. And so there is this testimony we've never seen from the disciples as a group before. And the thing that seems to have strengthened them and, and clarified their faith is Jesus knowing what they were asking without being told. And I think that for some of us, we're like that. In our humanity, we're like that. We want to see something that we can get. We want to trust, but it takes something that demonstrates God's power for us to kind of like be able to make that leap. And that's what, it, that's what Jesus did for the disciples here. They struggled with understanding. They struggled with trusting. And Jesus said, I want you to understand that I am God Almighty. And so as he answers an unasked question, it somehow establishes their faith in a different way than before. Maybe God will do that for you. Maybe you've been praying for something that you've been asking God to just do in your life. And and you're like, God, I don't know. I don't even know if you're up there. It doesn't feel like you're hearing me. And God comes through, and God's about to come through in a big and powerful way, and you're going to know that God is real. You're going to know that He is absolutely listening to your prayers and wants to answer your prayers. What's going to come from that? What should you expect next? I think what, the, what I'm asking is, why would God do something that kind of helps us get, get stronger or more firm in our faith, get us more solid grip on the truth. Well, if he's growing your faith, he's about to put it to the test. He's about to, to, he's giving you a stronger faith because the storm is coming and you're going to need a stronger faith for the storm. And so Jesus says, you believe at last. He acknowledges, yeah, you finally, you've, you've gotten it. But he says, a time is coming and now is when you're going to be scattered. You're going to be scared to death. You're going to panic and run. He says, you understand, but your faith isn't stable. You know, but you don't get it. The only way for your faith to grow is not just for me to to answer a question you didn't ask, but for you to watch what happens over the next couple days. You are going to be scattered and run for your lives. And Jesus says, I will face trouble myself, but not alone. I will face trouble and you will follow my example. So as believers, what I would say is this, trouble will be our expectation. Trouble will be our testing fire. Trouble will be the way that your faith is challenged and stretched and grows. And you know that already. You know that some of the biggest things in your life where your relationship with Christ grew was because trouble came in your life and you had no other option. Because humanly speaking, as long as you have another way to handle life, that doesn't require complete dependence on God, you're going with the other way. For some of us, it takes God stripping away every single opportunity for self-dependence 
in order for me to finally come to a place of dependence on Him. And so I would say to you, when trouble comes your way, what will it do to your faith? Will it undermine it? Will it shake it? Will you run and be scattered? Or will your faith grow and be strong? What will fear do to your faith? Obviously, this is a night of fear for the disciples. A time is coming when you will be scattered. What will fear do to your faith? Those dark moments of the night when you're wondering about what if this happens and what if that happens and what if this comes and what about this thing and what did that person think? Fear. What's fear going to do to your faith? What's going to win? What's going to overcome? What will your failures do to your faith? The disciples are about to fail in a pretty big way. What will failure do to your faith? Will it convince you that there's no hope that you should just give up? Will trouble tell you that there's something wrong with you? Will it invite you to think that God doesn't care? Or will it open the door of opportunity for you to do what Jesus talks about next? To overcome. Jesus said all of this for a purpose. And I want you to get this, verse 33. This is just an amazing, amazing ending to this whole discourse. Here's what he says. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, now disciples, I've told all of this to you for a purpose. I've said this for a reason. And here's the reason. Here's why I talked to you about trouble. Here's why I talked to you about all the stuff that's coming and why you're going to be scattered and everything. I've told you so that you can have peace. I've told you because here is the formula for peace. So jot this down, write this first down, whatever. This is the formula for peace, okay? Here's the formula. He says, in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> oh, okay. That doesn't sound like peace. That uh, Peace means not trouble, right? Doesn't peace mean not? Like if, I, if we're going to sign a peace treaty, it means the, that the wars are over, the troubles are over, peace, right? No, that's not what he says. I've told you these things. I've told you that you'll be scattered. I've told you that I will face trouble. I've told you all these things that I am leaving so that you may have peace. He told us we'd have trouble so we could have peace. He even restates it so that we don't miss it. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Just in case you missed it, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay? So, guess what? I've got news for your week. I can make a prediction for your week. You will have trouble. Um, You probably could have figured that out. Somewhere along the way, we get the idea that knowing Jesus Christ should take trouble away. It might be from a misunderstanding of what peace is. We think that when God takes the trouble away, peace is a byproduct of that. What Jesus says here is peace is a byproduct of living in a trouble-filled life. Maybe one of the best weapons the enemy has to try to overcome us with despair is to convince us that God should be taking our trouble away when that's not what Jesus described. Jesus is what I've told you is the path to peace, and what I've told you is that trouble is on the way. And so he describes peace in the midst of trouble. 
We need to give up on the idea of removing trouble as a path to peace in our soul. By the way, as you look around at people who don't seem to have any problems, people who don't seem to have any trouble, are they always peaceful? Are they filled with peace? People who have all the money that they could want and all the power that they could want and seemingly the perfect family and the perfect whatever, all the talent in the world, are those people all peaceful? So living without trouble may not be the pathway to peace. Jesus says the pathway to peace comes with trouble. Knowing that trials and struggles are normal and certain can take away our dissatisfaction when it comes. If you will just accept the reality that in this world you will have trouble, it's part of your spirit giving up on that grind against when is the trouble going to come to an end, then you can let go of that battle inside of you. Jesus says this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Literally what he says is take courage. The word means to have confidence, to have firmness of purpose in the face of danger or testing. Take heart. Take confidence. Take a firmness of purpose when danger and testing comes your way. And so when trouble comes your way, if you want peace, the invitation is to take confidence, to take courage. First thing I see there is that it's a choice. It is an action that you are called to take. It is not one that is made for you. It is an offer. It is an opportunity but it is a choice that you make. Will you be courageous and confident in trouble or will you be shaken and fearful? Second thing I see here is this. Rest in the promise Jesus makes because there is a guarantee. When he says, take heart, then he says, I have overcome the world. How real is it to you that Jesus has overcome the world? Is the trouble real or is Jesus' victory real? Right now, when the darkness is all around, what's real to you? What's sure, absolutely guaranteed, confident it's the way things are? It may look like the world is overcoming. I mean, Jesus is going to be on a cross in less than 24 hours. It looks like the world is winning. He's going to be in a grave for the weekend. It looks like the world is winning. How confident are you, in spite of what you see, in spite of how it feels, that I have overcome the world? How confident do you live in the promise of Jesus? We look around the world today and we see Christians being exterminated. We see a culture erasing morals and values. Jesus says, don't believe it. Because victory is guaranteed. We should not lose heart. We should take heart. Why? Because we know the conqueror. We know the victor. We know there is no question. There is no doubt. Jesus wins. He has overcome the world. It may come soon, it may come late, but it's coming, and it's guaranteed. But the big key is this. You are not the one who overcomes. Did you pick that up? Jesus did not say, take heart, you will overcome the world. He didn't say that. 
He said, take heart. I have overcome the world. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of that, he said, these things I've told you so that in me you may have peace. Did you see that? In other words, our hope is not in us campaigning for a better world. It is not in us changing this world. It is in Jesus changing people. It is in Jesus' ultimate victory as the judge and ruler of this earth. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus overcomes. And so maybe your struggle for peace is linked to the reality that you cannot find a way to handle life. That you cannot overcome trouble. That you cannot squash it or move it aside. When all we look at is our ability to handle trouble, we always wind up sinking very, very fast. But Jesus tells us, take courage, because he is overcome. When we praise him, when we, when we honor him, when we, we pray to him, when we sing to him, we strengthen the truth in our souls that he has overcome, that he has conquered the grave, that he has defeated death, that sin is absolutely abolished. It is destroyed, that we are free indeed because of Jesus Christ. We remind ourselves, we remind one another that we serve an overcoming God. So the opportunity for you today is just this. Will you step in to the truth that Jesus has overcome? Whatever's coming against you, Jesus has overcome. He has overcome the world. And so we're going to close with a song today um, that really just kind of invites that opportunity, invites that mindset to be yours. You may find yourself there right now. You might be there in a moment where you need a rescuing hand in your life. And if not today, you might find it very soon. The Apostle John, as he wrote his letter, uh, 1 John, talks about overcoming again and again and again. And here's one of the things he says. He says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Believers, do we live that? Is that our hope for today and tomorrow, for the trouble that's in our lives? We overcome because He rescues us, because He's in us, because He overcomes in us. That's how great a Savior we have. That's how wonderful of a God we serve. He doesn't remove us from trouble. He overcomes trouble. Those are two wholly different things. It may take longer than you like. It may not look like it's coming, but it is guaranteed. Will you believe? It's like Jesus says this as he kind of closes that. He says, listen, when trouble shows up, I've told you these things. I've told you that trouble will come. Why? So that you can have peace in me. So he's saying when trouble shows up, remember I told you it was coming. And because I told you it was coming, remember that I knew what I was talking about because I also told you this. Not only is in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Is he in you? Is he greater than this world? Has he overcome this world? Is he your hope for this life? I pray today that we will embrace that in our hearts.
stand together and close in a word of prayer. I pray that you will accept that offer of help from your Savior this day, whether it's from your past, the scars or regrets of your past, let him overcome. Don't be overcome. Whether it's the trouble of this day, let him overcome. Don't be overcome. Or whether it's a concern about tomorrow, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that you would establish this truth just like you did with the disciples, that you would establish it in us. We see the fruit of the disciples who believed that no matter what came their way, Jesus had overcome the world. Father, give us that same conviction, that same courage. Let us go forward from this place bold, confident, not only in uh, your victory, but in your love for us and the opportunity we have to let you overcome in our lives. Father, I pray that no one here 
would let discouragement wash them under, but that you would pull them from the water this day. Father, use us for the kingdom of God, we pray. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.